Church, we just finished up an intense four-part series in August about becoming better disciples. And I can't think of a more catalytic discipleship experience than going on a short-term missions trip. Right now, our global missions team is preparing trips for the rest of 2019 and into 2020. And you can go to places like Uganda and Peru or places as close to home as Toronto, Canada. And I know for me, the trips that I've been on have been life-changing experiences. I'm thinking in particular of one trip to Uganda where we had the opportunity to hand out Bibles to members of our partner churches over there. And these weren't just any Bibles. These were Bibles printed in the Luganda language. And these are hard to come by. They cost as much as a month's wages for some of those folks. And I actually had the privilege of putting the Bibles in their hands. And I can't tell you the emotion that was on their faces as they received the Word of God for the first time, many of them for the first time, in their own language. Now, my story is just one of hundreds of stories of brothers and sisters right here at Grace who've had life-changing experiences on these short-term missions trips. And if you felt the Holy Spirit nudge you as I've been talking, don't brush that off. We have an informational meeting coming up at the end of this month where you can learn all about the trips that are going to be happening at the end of 2019 and into 2020. So make plans to attend that meeting. You can find out all about it from our homepage at gracefellowship.com. Here's our new giving total for the 2020 Vision Campaign. You know what's exciting? This week we got to get together with a local Grace in Action partner to see where the humanitarian aid portion is making a difference right here in our own neighborhoods. Today I'm here with Perry Jones, who's the executive director and pastor here at the Capital City Rescue Mission. And he's gonna tell us a little bit about where we are right now. Yes, this building is an old warehouse that we bought and it is for women and children, homeless women and children, who will come here once it's renovated, and they will be able to spend up to a year to, to let the Lord Jesus work in their hearts and lives and give them healing and rest from the brokenness that they've all faced, and that it will be a place that they'll leave here uh, for transitional housing. But this is, this is a miracle project to get them a place, uh, you know, 25,000 square foot for them. The concept is going to be for single women here. There will be a kitchen, a bathroom, a small living space, but they will have their own rooms. So they will, you know, have this, that alone time that they need, um, personal time. Um, and it's just, it's like a studio apartment. Mm -hmm. So they learn how to live together, yet they have enough space. It's beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've learned how to appreciate each and every one of the ladies that I'm with and we're all there for a reason. God put us together for that reason. And each and every one of them is in their own little seasons, taking their own little baby steps, you know, including me, myself, and I'm graduating in two weeks. So, I mean, it's, it's just so beautiful. Right now, I got goosebumps. It's really, I mean, God really does have a plan for me. There was days that I didn't think that I was gonna ever, ever stop drinking or drugging. Look at me. I'm 21 months clean as of yesterday, the third. Praise 21 God. months clean. And in two God. weeks, I'm about to graduate. And I'm going to be right here watching all this, this come together as God's little, as I want to say, his little handiwork. I'm really excited to meet the ladies that's going to walk through these doors. I really am. I want to be there when they come through the doors. I want to meet each and every one of them. So could you ladies tell us a little bit about this space that we're standing in right now? This space that we're in right now is going to be the new face kitchen. Um, 
and so far, when I, like I said, when I first came up in here, there was no walls. Now there's walls. You know, so I'm really looking forward to the end finish of it. And church, this is where our contributions through 2020 Vision have come in. Because Grace Fellowship has been part of the building and sponsorship of this kitchen. We're going to be part of putting this kitchen together, getting in the appliances for it, preparing it for the women and for the families who will be residents here in this building. Yeah, well, it also will give us the opportunity to fellowship, to bring the women together, to learn from each other and how God has placed everyone in each other's life and just live in community and just learn, you know, what God says about our community and having these walls up is just, it's love because I've been through the program myself and to have this as a blessing in the kitchen for a woman, that's huge. It's like, let's make a meal and let's talk, let's fellowship and bring everybody together. So that's the beautiful part and that's what I'm looking forward to. Right on, that's good stuff. Yeah, I agree. It's awesome what God is doing and thank you again, all of you who are engaged in this 2020 vision journey. It just continues in my mind to get more and more exciting. Well, one of the tools that our church uses to help marriages become healthier is called Prepare Enrich. And I love one of the exercises in the workbook because it invites couples to sit down together and have a, a really lively and meaningful dialogue about several statements that are made there. And they're supposed to decide, these couples, if they believe these statements are true or not. I'm kind of curious what you would think. Let me try a few of the statements out on you. Don't blurt your answers out, of course, but just think about it as I read these. These are couples that are, you know, getting marriage enrichment and they're talking about how their marriages can be healthy. So here are the statements. And these statements represent some common fantasies couples have about marriage. My partner will meet all my needs for companionship. I can tell from your snickers that some of you question that a little. How about this one? Time will resolve our problems. We should live happily ever after with no major problems or issues. Our relationship will remain the same through the years. Or what do you think of this one? My partner's interest in sex will be the same as mine. Some of you know about that one, don't you? Our relationship will be better when we have a baby. That'll make it better. We will do things just like my family did. Nothing could cause us to question our love for one another. True or not? Or how about this one? I believe I know everything there is to know about my partner. Whoa. Or finally, love is all you need for a great marriage. Now, the workbook asks, if you agree with these statements, how might that set you up for being disappointed later on? And then the couples, it is so exciting, they get to discuss this and how it impacts them personally. And then the authors of the workbook write this conclusion, I think is quite interesting. 
to a large degree, you will be disappointed or happy in life based on how well what is happening matches up with what you think should be happening. All married couples start out hoping for and believing they will experience the very best. Problems arise when these hopes and beliefs are not based on reality. I would not only agree with that, I'll take it a step further. In my experience over literally decades now of working with hundreds of couples on marital issues, I would say that nothing sets a couple up more for disappointment than unrealistic expectations. I don't need to tell you, if you're reading the paper, if you're looking online at articles, if you're Googling this topic, if you're listening to the talk shows, if you're looking at the statistics from all the studies that are being done, and there are so many that we could never begin to name them, the statistics on marriage failure are staggering. I mean, one in 10 fell within the first two years, for goodness sake. And even within the first few months, 49% of married people say there are some serious issues that they're beginning to see in their marriage. That's just within a few months. It seems that there's something drastically wrong with the way we approach marriage in America. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, kind of with a front row seat, if you will, into a lot of marriages and a lot of homes in the church, I hurt for families that are struggling. I believe that probably for every couple that reaches out to get help, there's probably at least half a dozen more who ought to be reaching out for help. And I hurt for the kids, and I hurt for everyone involved when marriages are struggling. Sometimes you can just sense the anxiety and the pain that lingers and festers if issues are not dealt with. So here's my conclusion. Of all the great things we can do as a church, and there are so many, and we share a lot of them with you that we're involved in, like the video we just watched. But of all the great things we can do, I think one of the greatest is to invest in not only preparing couples for marriage, but in helping make marriages healthier, the ones that already exist, and to continue to try to keep them that way. Well, that's the reason we're beginning a brand new series today, and I'm calling it Heaven on Earth. Now, some of you right away may say, Pastor, that's a horrible title, because that title is setting up unrealistic expectations you're probably right because very few couples would say our marriage is a heaven on earth but here's the reason I'm gonna persist with that title because I believe marriage can be wonderful I believe God designed it to be an awesome experience not always happy mind you but definitely one that will make you holy and more like Jesus when it's done right. I believe that God can use marriage to kind of polish off the rough edges of our lives and help develop us as people. And yes, I will say it. I believe there may be nothing in this life that has more potential, more potential to be a kind of slice of infinity, a sort of heaven on earth more than a healthy marriage can. 
And that's what many of you have experienced. And you could give a hearty amen to that and, and I, could, I could do the same. And I praise God for that. And so for these next few weeks, I want us to look at some of those factors, some of those dynamics, some of those ingredients and realities that go into creating and sustaining a healthy marriage that lasts, that endures over the long haul. Now, right up front, I want to address the elephant in the room. <laughs> the elephant in the room is that hundreds of you are single. And many of you want to praise God for that, right? You're happy to be single, and you don't desire to get married. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I get that. I know that. I understand that. Can I ask a favor of you in this marriage series? Please do more than just tolerate it, honestly. I would ask you to pray along with me and with other leaders in the church that God would use this in the lives of all of us. Not just married people, but in the lives of single people who may be married in the near future or somewhere down the road. You see, we're in all different places. Some of us are married, some of us are single, some of us are single again. And I'm convinced that God has something in this series for every single one of us if, if, if we just have ears to hear from his spirit as he speaks to us through his word. Today I want to jump in by talking about the importance of starting, starting off with some realistic expectations. In their book, entitled Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott report on extensive research that indicates the most important characteristics for a lasting marriage. Anybody want to make a guess? Anybody want to make a guess at what their research shows is at the very top of the list as the most important characteristic? Yeah, you know it, don't you? It's healthy expectations. In other words, as they say, there's a direct correlation between your level of expectation and your personal satisfaction. If your level of expectation is just unrealistically high, even if the marriage is really solid and good, you're going to be disillusioned and disappointed. It's so easy to be unhappy. By the way, I believe this reality of expectations is important in just about every, every area of life. I, I consider myself to be a joyful, very grateful person. It's one of those qualities I, I've asked the Lord to build in me through the years because I believe gratitude is as G.K. Chesterton said, the, the mother of all virtues. You show me an ungrateful person, I'll show you someone who's just clueless about how blessed they probably really are if they just could see it. And so I, I have contentment, I have a lot of joy, praise God. I thank God for that. By his grace, those things are realities. And when people ask me, with all the challenges of ministry and leadership and life, how can you be Joyful and contented. I say any day is a good day after picking cotton. They usually go, what? 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 Whoa, what, do you, what, is, what do you mean by that? And if they don't know my story, they may not know that I grew up in Leoma, Tennessee on a cotton farm. The youngest of seven brothers and sisters, the workforce, along with mom and dad, out there dragging a cotton sack through the fields hour after excruciating hour in scorching heat. 
Yeah, I know it sounds like one of those, I walked to school seven miles up hills both ways kind of stories. I know that. But it was my reality. And so I've often joked through life, look, I've enjoyed every job I've had after that. I don't care what it was. Any day is a good day after picking cotton. The reason I thank God for starting that way is that my set point of expectations in life was so low, I'm just thrilled to be alive. I'm just thrilled to have food to eat. I'm just thrilled to have any kind of job. I thought delivering pizza was the greatest job in the world after picking cotton. Washing dishes, oh my goodness, what a thrill. After picking cotton. And so that's my story. Expectations, if they're unrealistic in marriage, can absolutely crush you. Trust me on this. We've got to start at the right place. Now, where do they come from? Some people have unrealistic expectations because maybe they're one of those few who grew up in an idealistic kind of home. You know, kind of the June and Ward Cleaver experience. You know what I'm saying? Kind of that mythic family that never really existed because there was always problems, but maybe you weren't aware of them growing up. And so you just thought life is just awesome every day. Marriage is wonderful. Or maybe you have kind of been enamored with movies that are Cinderella-like, where everybody kind of ultimately, maybe they have a challenge, but then they live happily ever after. Or maybe, maybe you had a preacher or spiritual leader who taught you, look, 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 if you just marry a fellow believer, it's going to all be good. It's going to all work out wonderfully. That's the only thing that is truly important. Just marry a fellow believer and then God will work it all out. And so your expectations were a bit unrealistic. I want to start today by smashing some of those harmful fantasies and start building some more realistic expectations about marriage. So let's go on this journey together. First, I think we need to build realistic expectations about compatibility in general. Ephesians 5.31 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's a passage about this mystic union, this unity that God brings about between a husband and wife in marriage. And so again, many couples, as I indicated, think if I just marry a fellow believer, someone who shares my faith, God is going to work it all out, we'll be eternally happy and completely compatible. I think that myth gets started in dating. Dating is such a farce in our country, isn't it? I mean, it's a farce because we don't really get to know each other that well. Why? Because everybody's play acting. In dating, everybody has a mask on. They're putting their best foot forward. We accentuate the places we are compatible, but we really de-emphasize those areas where we're not very compatible. And then we get married, and the mask comes off. And I've literally had married couples say to me, just months, just months into a marriage, I am married 
to a total stranger. I heard so many things about this person I never knew. So one of the questions I read to you earlier tonight, earlier today, right out of the Prepare Enrich workbook said, I believe I know everything there is to know about my partner. Folks, that may be one of the biggest fantasies that couples ever have before they get married. I believe I know everything there is to know. So if you're out there right now and you're preparing to get married to someone and you believe that statement, you believe you know everything there is to know about your partner, I've just got two words for you. You don't. You don't. Believe me. When you get married, you're going to discover a boatload of things. It's not that your partner is trying to deceive you or just intentionally keep you in the dark on this stuff. It's just that these things don't really come out until you're actually truly in it with the commitment. And it's learning to work through these incompatibilities that God uses these to grow you and mature you. When I was growing up on a farm in Tennessee, we got up at the crack of dawn. It's just what you did. Two reasons for that mainly. One reason, you got up so early every day. By the way, sleeping in was the moral sin in my family. You could be lots of things, but you could not be lazy. And the first sign of laziness was you wanted to sleep in beyond 5 o'clock, okay? You, you were lazy if you wanted to sleep in a little bit. And so you got up early because there was so much work to do. You also got up early, especially in the summer, because you wanted to take advantage of the coolness of the day because it was about to get really, really hot later on. So every day of my life, my mother and my dad were up at 5 o'clock. My mother would be in the kitchen preparing breakfast from scratch. And I mean a feast. I'm talking about homemade buttermilk biscuits from scratch that she made with her own hands from scratch. Fresh jam from the farm, from our own berries, right there every morning. Every morning we had fresh eggs from the farm and bacon, ham, or, and or sausage from the farm. And you would split these biscuits open if the steam would rise and you'd drizzle that homemade gravy over them. Unbelievable, it was a feast. That's the way I ate every single morning growing up. And then I got married. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. Debbie is an amazing cook, but she didn't grow up with that custom. Her idea of a hearty breakfast was a handful of Fruit Loops on the way out the door. So thank God I didn't try to impose that standard on her. It wouldn't work. We would have been in divorce court years ago. It would not work. She doesn't want to get up at 5 o'clock. You got to work through those differences because there's going to be incompatibilities. And we don't really see many of those until we're actually married. Now, here's the thing you need to be aware of. The very things, differences that attract you to that person that you're thinking about married or maybe engaged to, the things that attract you to him or her now where you go, whoa, I really like that, will drive you crazy later in marriage. 
They will. You meet this wonderful woman, and she is such a conversationalist. Oh, she's so bubbly and bright, and she loves to talk. You go, wow, I love that because I'm such an introvert. I don't like to do all the talking. She can just talk, and we, we can be wonderful together. And after you get married, you go, this woman will never shut up. What's wrong with her? She talks all the time. You meet some man, and you admire his leadership quality because maybe you don't have that. You're a more phlegmatic personality, kind of laid back, and you see this handsome man, and oh, what a leader. He takes charge, and you admire that because you know you need some of that in your life. That's going to help round you out a little bit, but after marriage, you're going to go, oh, he's so overbearing and dictatorial. When's he ever going to get off this authority trip? Opposites attract, and then opposites attack. That's how it works. That's the myth of compatibility. So be realistic. There are going to be differences that will not change, and you'll have to live with them for the rest of your married life. I still like breakfast as my favorite meal of the day, probably because of the way I grew up. Debbie hates breakfast. She would prefer never to eat breakfast. It's just, she doesn't want to eat until much later in the day. One husband, after a long argument, said, okay, I'll admit I'm wrong. He said this to his wife, I'll admit I'm wrong if you'll admit I'm right. <laughs> and she scratched her head and said, okay. And he said, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. She said, you're right. But these differences I'm describing are usually not moral issues. There's usually not a wrong and a right. They're just personality things or cultural things. 1 Corinthians 12 says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. These are descri Paul's describing here differences in people, differences in the body of Christ, but the same God works all of them in all people. There will be tons of areas where you're not super compatible, but usually they're not right or wrong issues. God can use these to deepen and mature us. Ephesians 4 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Well, there's a second area I want to touch on briefly where we need a reality check. That is, we need to build realistic sexual expectations. Now, I realize this is a sensitive subject, especially for church. Amen? So, I want to tell you right now, I'm just going to address this briefly, but in two weeks, the sermon is all about this. In two weeks. So, I want to give you a heads up so you don't have any really young children in here and everything's age appropriate and all that. And we're not, we're not going to go off the deep end that week, two weeks from now, but we are going to be very blunt and very candid, so I don't want you to miss that. But today, let me just kind of deal with this very briefly. I believe that sexual expectations in marriage have become unrealistic at times due to movies, due to advertising, and even many of our songs. I think it was about 10 years ago that Dina Carter sang a country song, which was amazing. You used to still watch it on YouTube or wherever. The lyrics go, flowers and wine is what I thought I would find when I came home from working tonight. 
Well, now here I stand over this frying pan, and you want a cold one again. Now, when we first met, you promised we'd get a house on a hill with a pool. I wish I could sing this to you, but I'm afraid you'd all stampede out. Well, this trailer stays wet, and we're swimming in debt. And now you want me to go back to school. I bought these new heels, did my nails, had my hair done just right. I thought this new dress would be a sure bet for romance tonight. Well, it's perfectly clear between the TV and beer that I won't get so much as a kiss. As I head out the door, I turn around to be sure, did I shave my legs for this? <laughs> Darling, did I shave my legs for this? Now that's deep. That's deep. I'm telling you, you people who don't like country music, I don't understand you. I just don't get you. You can listen to the classics and not get that kind of depth right there. That is a song for the ages. Did I shave my legs for this? The book, The Marriage Builder by Larry Crabb says the natural appetite for erotic pleasure has become a mad tyrant. Demanding fulfillment with no concern for either boundaries or consequences. Ruined reputations, shattered relationships, prematurely ended ministries. No price seems too high to pay for the pleasures of sex. It's become a slave master driving people to disaster. I believe pornography creates unrealistic expectations. How in the world is your partner going to compete with that image on the screen or in that magazine? And so it creates this undercurrent in marriages that sex isn't as fulfilling as we thought it would be. And there's this discontent and this temptation and alienation. I'm going to read a passage of scripture right now, right out of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that I believe is crucial for married people to understand. Verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about. Apparently they sent some questions to the Apostle Paul. And he's answering a number of those questions in this letter that we call 1 Corinthians. For the matters you wrote about. It's good for a man not to marry. Now that seems like a strange statement. But Paul is saying look. In light of this age which is quickly passing away. In light of the fact. That there's so much kingdom stuff that's uber important. You need to be focused. Whatever your marital state is, you really need to be focused on the kingdom and the values and priorities of the kingdom. That's what he's saying here. But then he goes on to say, and by the way, that we should understand that it is not God's will that everyone be married. It's not. It's better for some people just not to be married. And great men and women of God throughout the ages have understood that. Verse 2, but since there's so much immorality, ah, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband's husband. In other words, that is saying that sometimes... Sex in marriage is just ecstasy. And we almost shudder to say this, but I'm going to use the word because Paul used the word 
Sometimes it's ecstasy and sometimes, wow, it's just almost like a duty. What he's saying here is that sex in marriage sometimes is like thunder over the Hudson. And other times, it's like a sparkler over Post and Kill Creek. It's right there in the Bible, folks. Right there in the Bible. But he goes on in verse 4. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. In other words, healthy sexual relations in marriage should be a regular part of your relationship, ideally. Now, there are things that frustrate that, okay? But that should be a healthy part of your marriage relationship. Except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So make no mistake, God has not only given marriage, sex in marriage for procreation, but also to help battle temptation and also for pleasure and also to express our love to our marriage partner. But I want to tell you folks... Sex without the commitment of marriage, hear me today, is a charade. Oh, it may satisfy the body, but it leaves the real person very empty and unsatisfied. It offers pleasure for the body without meaning for the soul. That's why consistently the Bible says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Paul is saying, in essence, don't listen to Satan's spinmeisters who will try to tell you, ah, what's the big bother? It's just a physical act. You're just a physical being after all. Paul says, no. Your soul and your spirit. And there are things more important in this life than the gratification of our physical desires. Your family should matter more. Your loved ones should matter more. God's kingdom should matter more. Your witness for Christ should matter more than our own temporal, physical desires. Well, there's one other area where I think we need a reality check. And that is to build realistic expectations about personal fulfillment. On the bibliography, you have at the bottom of your note sheet today. I want to call your attention to that. We always provide those at the beginning of a series so you can be aware of some good resources. These are resources that I have gotten great value from. And I would encourage you to check any or all of them out. One of the very first ones listed there is called His Needs her needs is by Willard Harley Jr. I just want to highlight that one because in my mind, I've never seen a better marriage book than that book. I'm telling you, I've used it for years now and the content of that book is absolutely spectacular and it reminds us that we all have needs. We have needs for companionship, for 
people to spend time with us. We have needs to be understood, to love and be loved. We need to have meaningful conversations. We need to have domestic support and encouragement and on and on and on it goes. And here's the problem. We've got these real needs. They're real. They're not just imaginary. They're real needs. And we think there's a person out there that can meet every one of my needs perfectly. Some years ago, USA Today asked in a survey of the American people, is there a Mr. and Mrs. Right? You know what? 66% of Americans said yes. Two-thirds of Americans said there's a perfect match out there somewhere. By the way, that's why all the dating service sites, all these sites where you go to find you know, the perfect match for you are just red hot. I mean, they're continuing to blow up for the last three decades or so because so many people believe that there's this perfect match out there for me that's going to meet all my needs. And life will be perpetual goosebumps and glory every single day. But surveys also indicate, and this is quite interesting to me, that the older you get, the less you tend to believe that. So is there someone out there? If you believe that, you're going to think, wow, I'm being cheated. Man, I'm getting a short end here. I, the, my needs aren't being met. I must have married the wrong person. Folks, let's be realistic. There is no one person who's going to meet all your needs and bring complete personal fulfillment. In her book entitled, Men Read Newspapers, Not Minds, and other things I wish I'd known when I first married, Sandra Aldrich tells about a friend of hers who thought that her husband would want to be by her side constantly after they got married. And she wrote, I remember Kim's reaction when her husband of just a few weeks announced that he was going to play in the softball league at work. Kim had carried visions of long walks in the park each evening as they discussed their day hand in hand and dreamed of the future. The thought that her husband would rather be with a bunch of sweaty guys didn't fit her expectation of what loving, loving couples did each evening. But she adjusted. She accepted the fact that if she wanted to see him on summer evenings, she needed to attend the ball games and lug the lawn chair along. In time, she even started enjoying it and helping to keep the score. But that wasn't what she had planned when she went into the marriage. Be realistic. There is no Mr. Right or Miss Perfect out there that will fulfill all your desires and expectations. For God's sake, don't put that kind of pressure on your mate. Nobody can live up to that. Paul writes in Philippians 4, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Only God can supply all of our needs. And he had to die on the cross in order to do that. Now you may have some of your relational or emotional needs met by a friend of the same gender who understands you or is able to encourage you. But here's a unique thought. I almost shudder to say this, but I'm going to dare. You might have to go through life 
without some of your perceived needs being met. Wow. That's what we call sacrifice. And the greatest women and men of God throughout the ages have understood that quite well. That's one of the reasons we admire them because they live sacrificial lives, putting the needs of others ahead of their own. Again, Paul from Philippians, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Imagine what would happen. I think it'd be revolutionary. if We actually in our homes, in our workplace, in our friendships, begin to think about others' needs over our own. One woman told her attorney she wanted to divorce her husband. Why? Because he had neglected her and he was oblivious to her needs. Well, she said, I want to make him hurt the way he's made me hurt. I want to sue him for everything he's worth. Well, her attorney, who happened to be a Christian, said, uh, here's my advice. To be honest, right now, if you divorce him right now, it's not going to hurt him much because, as you say, he's oblivious to you. He said, my advice is for the next six months to pamper him. Meet his every need. Sacrifice for him until he's totally dependent upon then you. And then, then jerk the rug out from under him and say, I want a divorce. Oh, that, now that will hurt him bad. Six months later, the lawyer said, oh, are you ready now for a divorce? She said, no way, I've fallen in love with him. He said, come on, Pastor Rex, that's too simplistic. Maybe it is. But it's a whole lot better than this flippant, my needs aren't being met. I'm not being understood. I've got to follow my own heart. Most important thing is that I just be happy right now. When we make those choices, we usually leave in our wake a tsunami of pain for lots of people around us. Jesus said, you seek to save your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Now, in closing today, we've been talking about people whose expectations are too high. But can I tell you a strange phenomenon I've noticed, especially among a younger generation? We actually have, and I'll bet many of you listening to me right now are in this category, your expectations of marriage are actually too low. Really? Can I, can I just be blunt with you? We have many people in our church, based on conversations I've had, and as far as I can tell, you have grown up in such dysfunctional homes and situations, this is just the truth now, We're just, we always try to keep it real at grace, that you never ever, not even once in your life, have seen a healthy, happy marriage or home situation. That's the truth. Not once have you ever even seen one. And so naturally, you're scared. You go, why would I want that? It's horrible. I want to encourage you today. Well, I empathize with your journey and the road you've been on. I want to tell you that there are dozens and dozens of actually, by God's grace, healthy marriage, marriages in this church. 
men and women who really love each other and love the Lord, and wow, it shows. And their home is not perfect, but boy, it is almost like a slice of heaven on earth. And I wish that for you if God leads you toward marriage. So one of the reasons we're going to take these weeks to talk about marriage is that I believe marriage is worth fighting for. I believe that marriage is worth working toward a good marriage. Yes, it will have struggles, but when it's done right, it can be an awesome thing. Father, thank you that marriage is your idea, not some human or social or cultural invention. You are the author of marriage. And Lord, I pray that during these weeks, we would have not only a lot of fun exploring this, but most of all, that we would make progress. I pray for singles, for those who are single or single again, for people who are still hurting from a painful divorce. I pray for those couples that are married, and many of them happily married, that this would be an awesome season for all of us, where you would lead us into a better place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.